as I publish this episode, I must admit that I am not in the best of moods. I would describe it as a mix of anger and sorrow. Anger at our country's continued anemic response to gun violence and sorrow for the 12 fatalities, their families, friends, bar patrons, and community at another mass shooting, this time in Thousand Oaks, California. Now the show you're about to hear was recorded the day before the shooting. Normally, it takes me a few weeks to get these shows ready for you to hear. But when I opened my Twitter feed this morning and I saw Dr. Megan Ranney already commenting on the shooting, I felt that was a sign that I had to get her show to you as soon as possible. So now, let's join Dr. Megan Ranney, national gun violence expert, and change the narrative on gun violence. My name is Dr. Megan Ranney. I'm an emergency physician in Providence, Rhode Island, and chief research officer of Affirm Research. Welcome to the Race, Violence, and Medicine podcast. Welcome to Race, Violence, and Medicine. This is Dr. Brian H. Williams. Thank you for tuning in today. Our guest today is Megan, Dr. Megan Ranney. She is a national expert in gun violence as a public health problem. Dr. Ranney, thank you for joining us today. It's my pleasure, Brian. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you know, it is a, it's election season right now. And we know that there are a lot of one issue and two issue voters out there. And one issue that seems to resonate with many is this issue of gun reform. People call it gun control, gun rights, gun violence. Now, just give me your perspective on this public health problem. Absolutely. So the the most important thing is to recognize that gun violence is a public health epidemic. Right, We have over 100 folks uh, who are killed each day in the United States um, by firearms and over 200 that are injured each day. And I think that when we use terms like gun reform or gun rights or gun control, um, we make gun violence into a inherently political or partisan issue when at its core, what it really is, is a public health issue. This is about people getting hurt and killed and having long-lasting psychological and physical uh, trauma. Um, And so I kind of, my big thing is, is trying to change the terms of the debate and and put it back on, on the human lives. So I like how you talk about the different ways that we refer to it, makes it a political debate or political issue, but also in my opinion, normalizes it and lessens the, the truly the true human toll that the gun violence has on individuals and communities. Totally, totally agree. Um, it's funny. I was talking to my husband last night uh, and he was saying that there was some issue with um, kids getting hurt, getting out of school buses because school buses don't have monitors and there aren't adequate um, regulations around passing school buses. And I was like, how many kids have gotten hurt by that? He's like, Oh, I think five or six in the past six months. And I go, honey, <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> Can it, did you know that 7,000 people died uh, 
right, over the last two months uh, because of gun violence? And he's like, what? Right. You don't think about the fact that this is not a debate about um, objects. This is a debate about people. Right. And people's lives and the lives of their families and their communities. So you're you're an emergency medicine physician. Correct. Tell us how you got. Give us your journey to where you are now. Let's go back to. You know, little Megan back in elementary school. <laughs> <laughs> wow, man, that's a long way back. I don't know if you want to go back that far. <laughs> I love it. Um, so so I have uh, always um, been committed to public health and to helping um, uh, folks who may not have the same um, opportunity or privilege um, that that I've been fortunate to have, you know. Um, uh, I did Peace Corps after college, um, and I went to medical school to largely with the goal of doing public health. I uh, got very involved with violence prevention, really during college, um, and that continued right through. Um, chose emergency medicine because of the fact that it is the one place in the U.S. healthcare system that we get to take care of everyone, uh, regardless of socioeconomic status or literacy or ability to pay. Um, It's also a place where we have the chance to really impact lives. Um, No matter why someone comes to the emergency department, the mere fact of an emergency department visit um, presents an opportunity uh, to help people through a health transition and to hopefully help them make that transition um, into uh, back to health um, and to help them deal with whatever factors landed them in the ED in the first place. Um, but as a violence prevention researcher, I was told uh, in no uncertain terms um, when I finished residency and started doing research um, that I couldn't talk about guns. Um, I was doing work on community violence and I wanted to look at the differences in mortality rates between people who were, you know, had blunt assault, so being stabbed, or excuse me, being punched or, or hit with something, compared to those who were stabbed, compared to those who were shot. And my um, kind of senior leaders uh, said to me, you, you can't talk about guns. Um, you're not allowed to do that. And I was, you know, a young, uh, brand new attending and said, well, if you tell me I can't talk about guns, then, then I won't. And so I kept doing work on, on community violence, but didn't Did they give a talk about Did they give a reason? But, uh, yeah, yeah, that's a great question, Brian. Um, the reason was um, because uh, some of the leaders um, in the injury prevention field, right, there's a whole science of injury prevention. Some of the leaders in the injury prevention field had had their funding taken away and had effectively been blackballed um, from federal funding because of their research on guns in the 1990s. And some of that research is the stuff that led to the Dickey Amendment, um, which for listeners who don't know, uh, the Dickey Amendment was an amendment passed by a junior representative from Arkansas in 1996 that said that no funds could be used by the CDC for gun control advocacy. Now, of course, CDC can't do advocacy, period, and CDC was not uh, advocating for gun control, Um, but the interpretation by some folks was that uh, the research that was being done was um, a form of advocacy for gun control. So at the point when that amendment was passed, um, Congress took away from the CDC all the money that they had been spending on gun violence prevention research. 
soon thereafter, a similar um, uh, policy was put in place for NIH. Um, and for the last 22 years, um, there has been virtually no federal funding for gun violence prevention research. Um, so that, that was the reason. Twisting, I'm, I'm saying this as if they had this nefarious intent, twisting the meaning of what gun violence prevention research meant versus gun violence advocacy. Is that fair? Correct. That is totally fair. And I think that's a really important distinction that doing research is not about advocacy. Doing research is about trying to find truth. And a good scientist goes into research with a null hypothesis, right? We have the thing that we think we're going to disprove and we have the thing that we think we're gonna prove. But a good scientist uses the data and lets the data tell the story that's actually there. Moreover, doing good gun violence prevention research may have nothing to do with guns, right? And so when people assume that doing violence prevention research has to do with firearms, and, and I get this from people on both sides of the political spectrum, right? People go, oh, you're doing gun violence research. You're for gun control, right? I get that from folks who are very blue and from folks that are very red um, right. in, in political leanings. And, and the truth is some of the best research that's been done um, is stuff like the work of Charlie Brannis, um, who's uh, chair of EPI at Columbia. He's done work around greening vacant spaces in Philadelphia and elsewhere, and has shown that when you green vacant lots, rates of gun crime around them go down. Right? Yeah, so there's some really- cultural society. <laughs> exactly. Right? There's some amazing stuff that can be done. There's things around, you know, all these social determinants of health. Um, and then, gosh, let's talk about suicide, right? Two thirds of gun deaths are actually suicide deaths. And so let's talk right. about all the stuff that we need to do to prevent those. So, so yes, you, folks are, where all of this came from was people kind of twisting what the meaning of doing research was. Um, and so I, I followed that precept for a very long time. And then um, there were kind of a couple things that, that changed my mind and said it was time to start speaking out and start trying to change the perception of what gun violence prevention looks like. And um, so what was that? There were so two things. So one was the clinical cases, right? Looking at the kids that came in time after time to the ED, having been shot by somebody in their neighborhood, right? Rarely knew who it was. And then seeing the number of them that already had scars, right? I mean, you know this better than anyone right. as a surgeon. Um, the kids who already had the laparotomy scar already had the chest tube scar. And I go, oh my God, like these kids are caught, right? They're caught in this cycle. And then I took care of a gun suicide case. It was the one and only one I've had in my career. I've been an emergency physician for almost 15 years now. Um, and, and it was, you know, it's, it was a July night. We got the call that there was a trauma code GSW coming in. We all assumed that we knew what was coming. And then the kid rolled in and he shot himself um, in the head with his father's gun. And that moment I kind of looked and I was like, wow, I, I've never seen, you know, once we took care of him. He, the, the injury was not um, survivable and so did our best for him, um, tried our best to help the family through um, the loss of their son. Uh, and then I stepped back and I thought about it. And I thought about all the ways in which that case was similar to all the other GSWs I'd seen over my career and also all the ways that it was different. 
And it just highlighted for me just how different injuries from firearms are compared to injuries from any other mechanism, right? It takes me back to when I was that early fellow, early attending, wanting to look at differences in lethality. Um, people who try to commit suicide with, by taking a handful of Motrin or Tylenol, um, they rarely die. But people who try to commit suicide by shooting themselves, they almost always die. And that's why we never see them. Right. Right. And right. so, so that was, one, so that was one big thing that changed my mind and said, you know, I'm, I'm done um, not talking about this because the mechanism is different. And then the, the other thing of course was, was Sandy Hook. Um, I think for many of us, uh, Sandy Hook was a transition point um, where uh, for better or worse, gun violence became part of the national conversation in a way that it hadn't been. Um, it's not, you know, part of me um, is disturbed that we only started talking about gun violence as a nation when um, it touched uh, upper middle class neighborhoods. Um, but part of me is also thankful because it allows us to have these really um, important and thoughtful conversations about something that is killing so many of our youth, right? Guns, right. violence is the second uh, leading cause of death in American youth. Um, and Sandy Hook for me was was one of those moments where I said, I just, I, I can't be quiet uh, anymore. And so um, led to kind of the actions within my medical society and um, then the AMA uh, working on a national scale um, and then to kind of the foundation of a firm. So let's, we're gonna take a quick break but when we come back, I want to talk more about this, this transformation, because by your own admission, you were silenced at the beginning of your career about this public health issue. You followed that path, but at some point, there were this seminal moment where you decided you had to speak out and change what you were doing. And I'm certain that put you at some bit of professional risk. <laughs> and uh, uh, that you chuckle. <laughs> Am I correct? Yeah, I mean, I definitely I talked to my chair. I, I sat down and talked to my chair before um, I decided to start doing this. And All right, well, hold on, hold on, Doctor Randy. Oh wait, all After right, the, we'll get we'll get into yeah. that. Well, thanks for tuning in. We are here with Doctor Megan Randy. She is a national gun violence expert. We're talking about the work she's doing to raise awareness and to eradicate this public health problem. This is Race, Violence, and Medicine. We will be back in a moment. I hope you are enjoying this interview with Dr. Ranny. Now, I just want to give you a heads up on this next segment of the interview. There is about 60 seconds where the audio gets kind of wonky. It cuts in and out. It is me, not you. Really, it is me, not you. But don't let that detract you from the rest of the interview because it is fantastic. So without further delay, let's get back to Dr. Ranny. All right, thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to Race, Violence, and Medicine. We are here with Dr. Megan Ranny. We're talking about gun violence. She is an expert in this field. And before the break, she was telling us how at the beginning of her career, she was told not to specifically look at guns when it came to gun violence prevention. And at some point, some events in her professional career, changed her thought processes and she decided to step into this, I guess with full bore, 
Dr. Randy, is that is that the fair thing to say? I don't want to put words into yep. your mouth, but it changed the trajectory of your career, and now you are nationally recognized for the work you were you are doing. So, talk to us about that transition and what you are doing now. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, so it was a conscious transition. I, I had a conversation with my chair um, and with the government relations folks at my hospital, and of course with my husband. Um, is he a doctor? Curious. No, he is not. Very much not. Kind of okay. about as far from a doctor. He's he owns his own business. Okay. <laughs> he keeps me. He keeps me honest. We we joke that that he um he's he's my sounding board. I know that if I can convince him of things, uh, then I'm on the right path. Um, because <laughs> he is yeah, we're he, he's great. We we make good partners. Um. <laughs> so, so had a discussion with all of them that I was going to step into this arena and recognizing that it was politically charged, but also knowing, feeling confident that I had um, a viewpoint and a message that had not been talked about a lot over the, you know, this was 2012, 2013. So it had been uh, almost 20 years at that point since the Dickey Amendment had been passed. Um, I was confident fair, that it was even, yeah. Congressman Dickey at the end of his life was saying that scientists should be allowed to study gun violence unimpeded by politicians. That's correct. He, he, even that is he, correct. He came full circle, but by that point, it was, Jeannie was out of the bottle and it was hard to put it back in. And how exactly. Long have you been in, how long have you been in medicine? Let's see. I finished med school in 2004. Okay. Well, 14 years. All right. Back, to, I, I cut you off there. I'm sorry. You were talking about. Oh, all good, all good. So yeah. So what I was going to say is that it kind of made this conscious transition, knowing that there is a way to talk about this, um, that is a way forward. Feeling, uh, I am confident that the way that we approach gun violence right now in our society is not the way that we have to do so, right? We have fixed public health epidemics before, and we have fixed controversial public health epidemics before. Um, so one example here is car crashes, right? All of us today take it for granted that we wear seatbelts and that there are drunk driving laws and Preach, that- um, Preach, go ahead. <laughs> right, exactly. But hey, I remember as a kid, people having one for the road before they would drive home with their kids in the car. My parents have pictures of taking me home from the hospital in my mother's arms, right? She sat in the back seat with me in her arms because there were no car seats for kids, right? How did all of that change come about? It came about because of science and because of good research, right? And it wasn't easy. I mean, gosh, Ralph Nader, you know, whatever you think of the fact that he ran for, for president, um, he, he did a lot of good earlier in his career. And he was a tireless advocate for seatbelts. And he went up against the car lobby, right? At the time when he was advocating for seatbelts, car manufacturers did not want to put them in cars. They did not want to make cars safer. And people did not think that there was any way to change the number of car crash deaths that, that were happening. But as a society, we said, this is something important. And we did the research and we put it into effect, both through behavioral changes and also through changing the design of cars and roads and stuff like that. And we have decreased the rate of car crash deaths by over 50%, despite the fact that more people are on the road and despite the fact that more miles are driven than ever before. 
right? Which so is amazing. Mm-hmm. Now, you and I get this, right? We understand it. There are people that will just not accept that argument for what, whatever reason. It doesn't compete with them or they're just not hearing it. Like, how do you get through to them? Great question. Dr. Williams, you, you asked the million dollar question. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I think part tips. of it. I need some help. <laughs> yeah, but, but so here's the thing. You, you can, I mean, my goodness, you can do it. I've, I've followed you on Twitter and watched your discussions. I think at the core, it's about listening. Um, when uh, One of the things uh, that I really pride myself on is the ability to bring people together. Um, within the American College of Emergency Physicians, within the American Medical Association, we have uh, together, not just me, but kind of a group, um, have created a sea shift in the way that gun violence is perceived. Um, and, and we have gun owners and non-gun owners sitting together, talking about ways that we can reduce gun violence uh, through science and evidence. I think that one of the really important things is to acknowledge that for many people, owning a gun is for better or worse, part of their identity. They see it as part a tool, they see it as fun, they see it as something that keeps them safe, right? And my job as a physician and as a researcher is to talk about how to really have it keep them safe and how to reduce the risk for people for whom it does not keep them safe, right? And so when you can kind of take the conversation out of the political terms of, well, we just need to ban all guns, right? Sure, if we had no guns, there would be no gun deaths. But that's just something that is not happening in our lifetime in the United States. And to talk about it shuts down the possibility of having real conversations with good people who are gun owners and who care about stopping gun violence, right? So, so to me, the answer is sitting down and being like, listen, let me, let me hear your ideas. How do you think we can end this epidemic? And now if their answer is, well, we just need to arm every man, woman, and child in the United States, you can talk a little about that, but that's kind of one side of the extreme. But for most people, the vast majority of Americans know that there are some people who, for whom it is simply not safe to have access to a gun in a moment of crisis, right? And that there are some policies, but also some uh, community level changes that need to occur. And so when you can take the conversation out of the political extremes and into the case by case points and into the discussions of where uh, evidence already points us and also where we need evidence to go, um, I find that you're able to create great collaborations. Um, it is uh, absolutely doable. And, and again, you know, 90% of Americans um, agree uh, that this is something that we need to do something about. And most people are looking for an answer. And when we can try to create those answer, that answer in terms that are not us versus them, um, that, that's where I think that we have succeeded, just as we've done for cars, right? Right. But there's a distrust. There's a distrust that, that exists. And so you got to get over that distrust. So when you made this, you know, you said you talked to your chair, you're going to make this transition to being a more vocal advocate about gun violence. Did, were there any career repercussions? Did, did you lose funding, lose mentorship, sponsorship? No, I've been very uh, fortunate that um, 
I haven't, knock on wood. And and I should say, I'm, I'm very careful to say that I am not, uh, because I, I do, um, what, what I am advocating for is for bringing science back to gun violence prevention. Um, and, and so I think that that is an important distinction. Um, if anything, I've had, amazingly, um, kind of more funding, but I've also really become committed to creating funding opportunities for others right. so that uh, they don't feel that they can't talk about this, right? Imagine, you know, and, and the analogy that I'll make here is um, the opioid epidemic. Nobody was studying how, you know, studying addiction and opioids was something that a few people did here and there. And then the federal government said, wow, this is a problem. Let's put money towards solving this epidemic. And you go to any medical center and there are dozens and dozens of folks working on stopping the opioid epidemic now. With adequate funding, we can do the same for gun violence, right? We can make this issue one that we work hard to address the same way that we're doing for any other disease or injury mechanism. Um, but, but it takes people feeling confident that it's not going to kill their career um, and that it's something that, you know, many people do it because of a moral obligation. But at the end of the day, most people have to pay their bills, right? And most people have to have a career. And so uh, it's really critical for us to create those funding sources so that smart people can put their minds to work on solving this problem. It is not an intractable problem, but it's one that takes, it's going to take a lot of bright minds um, to to make a change. So from this point forward, should I just eradicate every other variation of gun, no, dot, dot, dot. I should just say gun violence. I should no longer say gun control, gun reform, just gun violence and gun research. So Megan? Yeah, I mean, you can make, I, I am not a kind of person who dictates what others say. <laughs> I think you can, and I think that is um, their choice. I think that when we talk about gun control, we automatically shut down the brains of a really smart half of our population who think that it's a code word for taking away their guns. Um, to me, the question is, how do we do gun violence prevention in all of its multitude of forms? And that's what I talk about is gun violence prevention, not gun control, not gun rights, not gun reform. Um, it's about gun violence. Okay. Dr. Rennie, you may be having some te technical issues. Can you hear me? I can hear you. I don't know. I hope, I hope the recording is still working fine, and we'll check it out at the end. Um, you mentioned Twitter. I first came across you with the hashtag Docs for Gun Sense. Is that something you came up with? Yeah. So that was something that I, um, a group of my friends, um, I am one of those people who believes that we are always stronger together. And, and so I give equal credit to my colleagues, Esther Chu, Dara Cass, and Gita Pensa, who helped me come up with it. Um, as well as a group of women in a Facebook group that I'm in, um, physician women, um, who kind of helped initiate that, that hashtag. Um, and the point behind that hashtag um, was trying to give us something that we could do as physicians 
today, right? I think that we as doctors um, see the real uh, human effects of gun violence in a way that no one else in society does. People see TV or movies and it's all glamorous and glorified, um, but it's us who have to tell a family member um, that their loved one has been lost. It's us who has to do the thoracotomy. It's us who has to take care of the kid who's paralyzed for life and has bed sores and will never leave a nursing home, right? right. And I think those stories are, are critical for us to share. Um, right. Again, to get across to the public that human toll. All right, Dr. Um, Ryan, I, I wanna be respectful of your time. So two things I wanna get from you really quick is we didn't get to talk about uh, research firm. Mm. Can you break that down for us? Yeah, so I'd be thrilled to. So, <laughs> um, so Affirm Research, or the American Foundation for Firearm Injury Reduction in Medicine, uh, is a um, nonpartisan nonprofit that was created to fill that federal funding gap that I talked about. I am I and my co-founder and all of our members of our advisory board and all of our supporting organizations, which includes the AMA, the American College of Surgeons, American College of Physicians, American College of Emergency Physicians, and many more. Um, we all believe uh, that this is an issue that we can't wait any longer to get answers for. And instead of continuing to go and wait for someday someone to give some little bits of money to the CDC uh, and to increase the money to the NIH for this issue, we are going to do it ourselves. So we're um, taking private funds. Uh, we certainly welcome donations. Every dollar makes a difference. Um, and then we're using those to fund transformative research and then to put the research into practice. Thanks to this collective will of medicine, we can take the stuff that we discover and make changes, right? Um, and, you know, ACS uh, and your Committee on Trauma have been a great example of, of the way um, that, that we can do that. So uh, through Affirm, we hope to be able to um, change the face of this epidemic by funding um, smart researchers and physicians across the country um, to stop shooters before they shoot, to find out what it is that we need to do um, to, to identify those high-risk people and to reduce the risk of injury and death. And what is the uh, website, the uh, URL, so people can go up and check it out? Yeah, uh, it is www.affirm, A-F-F-I-R-M, research.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at Research Affirm on Twitter. And how do we follow you? Ah, yes, you're welcome to follow me. I am at Megan Ranney. It's R-A-N-N-E-Y. And I have no H in my name. <laughs> so at Megan Ranney is my Twitter account. And I would be honored. I'm always happy to engage in conversations. I welcome ideas and partnerships. This is only going to change by all of us working together, right? But I know that we can do it. We've done it for so many other issues. This one, it just takes our, our will and our time and, and that funding to, to make it happen. Well, yeah, but Affirm Research has a beautiful website. I will go back there and make sure I make my donation to the cause, and I will continue following you. I will also, for you listening, put this information up on the show notes for the show, so you can just go there and find out where to go to the website, as well as follow Dr. Ranny on Twitter. Dr. Ranny, I want to thank you 
very much for your time today. I appreciate it. And the discussion was enlightening, informative, and I'm certain we're going to make a difference in reducing gun violence. We need to eradicate it in this country. Thank you. And Dr. Williams, thank you for your leadership and for doing this podcast. I'm absolutely honored to be on here with you um, and look forward to working with you and, and the listeners, you know, in the years to come. I, I know we can do this. So thank you. Well, thanks for tuning in to Race, Violence, and Medicine. We just finished talking with Dr. Megan Rainey, Dr. Megan Ranny about gun violence <laughs> in this country. I, you know, I told you what happens, what happens. If I mess up, it goes. <laughs> All anyway, good. It makes it real. Right. <laughs> Check me out, brianwilliamsmd.com. That's Brian with an I. Just go there, sign up for the newsletter. And my main platform for the podcast is Anchor FM, but you can follow me anywhere you get your podcast. And if you do, make sure you tell your family and friends as well. I appreciate all of you. Thank you for tuning in.